Welcome to Bloomberg Law for this Thursday, November 5th. I'm June Grosso. The Supreme Court justices appeared divided during oral arguments over whether they'll put limits on consumer lawsuits. The case is about whether a man can sue a company over an Internet profile riddled with false and misleading information, although he could not show that he was harmed. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Law. During Supreme Court arguments this week, no one disputed that an online profile of Thomas Robbins had false information, including the wrong age, the wrong marital status, and the wrong picture. The dispute was over whether Robbins could sue the company that posted the online profile under the Fair Credit Reporting Act without showing he'd been injured in fact. The justices appeared divided along ideological lines. Joining me are Scott Vernick, a partner at Fox Rothschild, and Professor Dalia Jimenez of the University of Connecticut Law School. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Scott, why don't you start with the basic facts of this case? Sure. Uh, so the basic facts are that um, Spokio uh, is a tech company uh, based in Pasadena, California, uh, and it sort of styles itself as the people's uh, search engine. And what Spokio does is it has essentially algorithms that crawl uh, across the Internet and scoop up data that's available online, and they turn that information into sort of profiles, and they sell those profiles. But the information is gathered from stuff that's already in the public domain or online. And so with respect to Thomas Robbins, they put together this particular profile that said that he was married, uh, had children, was in his 50s, had a graduate degree, and also a professional job. Unfortunately, he was 29, unmarried, and did not have uh, employment uh, or was unemployed at the time. And so he sued uh, Spokio under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, uh, essentially claiming that uh, the incorrect, one, that the information was incorrect, it was in violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and that it harmed his prospects to get a job. Dahlia, it seems like that's a, a harm. It's, it's incorrect information. They admitted that it's incorrect information. It went on the internet. People could have seen it. What was the problem? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, you know, he, he might have been better off arguing here that um, the fact that the profile said he was married with children might have hurt him in other ways, um, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of in the dating world. I think that might have been a better argument. Um, but, you know, what, what he's actually saying is that the FCRA requires that Spokio implement reasonable procedures to ensure maximum possible accuracy. In other words, it just, I mean, he has to allege that it's incorrect, and, and no one disputes that. But, you know, just because it's incorrect, it's not enough. And he would only really win here if he can show that um, Spokio engaged in willful or reckless conduct in disseminating the inaccurate information. So it's not like he automatically wins just because it's incorrect. Um, I, you know, and, and we're at this point in the case where there actually have been no facts. Um, you know, the case was dismissed very early on. So he might be able to even allege an injury later. Um, just, you know, there have been no fact-finding yet. Scott, let's talk about what the justices spoke a lot about, which is that there was no proof of a concrete injury. And that concept we love to call standing in the law. You can explain that as well, please. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, look, the case is really significant, um, and let me explain sort of why it's significant and why businesses in, in particular should sort of sit up and take notice of the case. So, uh, as Dahlia said, the case was brought under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, or sometimes called FICRA, um, and initially the case was dismissed by the federal court judge um, who heard it uh, to begin with uh, because there was a lack of standing, and I'll get to that in a second, and then it was appealed to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit reversed and said that there was standing. And so what standing is all about uh, is uh, you only have the right to bring a case in federal court if you have quote-unquote standing, and what that means is that you have an injury in fact, um, one that is tangible, one that is quantifiable, and one that is neither speculative or hypothetical. And so here, what Spokio is saying, look, it's not enough to say that there was a violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act and that you're entitled to the damages that are specified in the statute, which probably range from 100 to to $1,000. You have to show some kind of tangible injury, out-of-pocket loss, injury in fact. Um, and so, and if you can't, then you shouldn't be able to bring a lawsuit. And so this has particular significance for lots of businesses that are susceptible to lawsuits under not only the Fair Credit Reporting Act, but the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, the Video Privacy Protection Act. There's lots of these consumer-oriented privacy statutes that say that if there's a violation, you're entitled to these so-called statutory damages of 1000 or 1500 But imagine that if you're a business and you're out doing your thing, your susceptibility to fending these off um, is quite large and quite expensive. And so, you know, and in addition, that's this also, we can talk about it in a little bit, has implications for lawsuits that arise out of data breaches um, and similar kinds of events. So there's a lot riding on this for businesses in particular who find themselves at the fuzzy end of these kinds of lawsuits. And Dolly, the internet businesses in particular are uh, have filed suits against this, have filed uh, friend of the court briefs in support of the defendant in this case. Why is that? Um, yeah, I mean Scott's absolutely right. There's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of laws that, that this case implicates, including you know laws that pre- uh, prevent um, unwanted robocalls and faxes that prohibit debt collectors from doing all sorts of you know things that bother consumers, that prohibit the disclosure of electronic information, and even the Freedom of Information Act itself. Um, in, in all of those laws, at least for part of them, co- Congress has basically decided that it has created a right by the statute and. You know, a right that would otherwise not exist. And and basically the argument here is that Congress's creation of this right is sufficient to um, confer standing on the plaintiff. Coming up, the liberal wing of the court supported the right to sue. Why the ideological divide? I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg Law on Bloomberg Radio. We're talking about one of the Supreme Court cases this term. In the movie The Net, Sandra Bullock's life was turned upside down by false information about her on the Internet. I'm standing right here. I need to check out. No, I'm sorry. It's not on the computer here. Let me check one more thing. Uh, no, Angela Bennett. She checked out last Saturday night. Uh, no, I, I didn't check out. I would know if I checked out. I didn't check out. I'm... According to the computer, checked out. There's nothing I can do for you, okay? 
In today's world, so much information about us is on the Internet. What happens when some of that information is not accurate? The Supreme Court is considering a case like that. Thomas Robbins sued a company for posting inaccurate information about him, but the justices appear divided along ideological lines over whether he can sue if the mistakes did not cause him any specific harm. I've been talking to Professor Dalia Jimenez of the University of Connecticut Law School and Scott Vernick, a partner at Scott at Fox Rothschild. Scott, the liberal justices seem to be supporting the right to sue and the conservative justices opposing it. Why is there an ideological split on this issue? Well, look, I think it's a question of the following. The conservative wing of the court says under Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, you don't have a right to bring a claim or controversy unless you can prove standing, uh, which means an injury in fact. And so they're sort of taking a narrow interpretation, if you will, or a conservative interpretation as to exactly when you do and don't get redress in the federal courts of the United States. The liberal wing says, look, you know, we live in an age where privacy is under threat and privacy is under attack. And we have to provide consumers with a readily accessible way of redressing uh, instances on instances in which their their privacy has been damaged or harmed and so their view is that you know their view is that we shouldn't put consumers in particular to the test of proving some out-of-pocket loss but the violation of the statute as crafted and passed by the congress where there is a statutory damage you know ought to be sufficient so you know that's the tension here it's the tension between when do you have and don't have a right as a constitutional matter to appear before a federal court and uh, attempt to get redress for your claim versus this ongoing threat to privacy where uh, notwithstanding the fact that you don't have an out-of-pocket loss, something at least theoretically has happened to you or your privacy has been damaged um, or your peace and quiet has been interfered with and shouldn't you have a right to get redress for that? Dahlia, does the harm matter if the purpose of some of these laws is to get companies to follow the law without having the government spending money on enforcing them? Absolutely, June. That's exactly what we're talking about here. These are um, sometimes called private attorney general's provisions that essentially allow consumers to bring a lawsuit that benefits the general public. And it's really a policy lever that, lever that Congress has used for decades in a bunch of statutes to incentivize companies to do the right thing. And it is very difficult to show harm here um, in most cases because you imagine Spokeo is selling this information and it's the companies that it's selling it to that, that are potentially doing the harm. And that's not something that necessarily the the plaintiff here would know. They they don't know, just like we don't know, how our information is being used, you know, by, by not just landlords and employers, but anyone who, um, you know, insurers, anyone who's offering you credit or anyone you're seeking for credit or who knows, right, anyone who's interested in this information. It's very difficult to chase all of that down. So um, the statutory damages are very low, 100 to to $1,000 in this case. And the idea is, yeah, let's make, let's have another way to get companies to do the right thing, to follow the law. Regulators don't have the resources to pursue these cases. And in fact, until very recently, there 
there was no regulator who would have pursued these kinds of cases, really, um, until the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And my favorite quote of the term, so far at least, is Justice Sonia Sotomayor suggesting that the false information could have harmed Robbins in unexpected ways. She said, I'll tell you that I know plenty of single people who look at whether someone who's proposed to date is married or not. So if you're not married and there's a report out there saying you are, that's a potential injury. So um, whereas we had on the other side, uh, Professor, um, someone who who the conservatives saying that there was nothing that he could prove happened to him. He didn't lose a job. He didn't um, lose any uh, any uh, financing. So where's the balance here? Yeah, I mean, that's that's hard. Um, I think Congress struck the balance here, and um, and the balance is that it decided that, you know, consumers could sue for these very low damages um, if they could show, in this case, willful or reckless conduct, which is a very high bar. Um, I mean, you know, I actually encourage anyone who's listening to check themselves out on Spokale and see what is out there um, about you. This is one of the few websites where you actually can search. Um, there are others out there that are selling their information to companies you've never heard of, and you can't even know that that information, you know, what information it is that they're selling. Um, so I think Congress has struck the balance. Scott. Yeah, listen, oh, I'm not, ahead. yeah, I'd have to disagree with that. I mean, the real issue here is, do you want the courts and do you want businesses to be under attack from essentially lawsuits that while you know, there's been a technical violation of a statute. The fact of the matter is, is that any real harm is speculative. It's hypothetical. I mean, it's, you know, if you take a look at all of the lawsuits that have been filed in the wake of all of the data breaches, um, you know, most of those cases have been dismissed because the consumers have not been able to demonstrate that they've actually suffered any loss. So that the threat alone or the speculation alone that I'm going to be subjected to some financial fraud or some sort of identity theft, most judges have not tolerated that as qualifying for standing or some injury in fact. And so part of what you have to balance here against you know, the so-called consumer privacy interests is this idea that you're going to have federal courts who are going to be besotted and flooded with these kinds of lawsuits when the harms are speculative, and somebody has to pay for that defense. I mean, but Scott, the shouldn't is- the Internet companies, eBay, Facebook, Google, all of these, shouldn't they be responsible for their content? Well, listen, the fact of the matter is the fact of the matter is is that for the most part these companies are not responsible for their content. I mean, if today when you have anonymous postings on social media that that say something false about someone, there's it's very hard to uh, do something about that because yeah, but they're not mar- gathering the anonymous posting it and putting it under the name of someone. Um, or if they are, that would be a very different matter. Uh, you know, th- this is a company, and the the consumer reporting agency type companies are ones that essentially create a profile about you and then sell it for profit. Um, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a totally different thing. That's a totally remember Spokio. It's first of all, if the case ever gets really heard, it's not altogether clear that Spokio is a consumer reporting agency. I, I mean, agree. I think that. That's, that, I think, is up for grabs. But, yes, I mean, in the context, yes, I mean, in, in, in the context of some, someone or some entity that is a 
true consumer reporting agency and if there and if the, for some reason you know there is information collected ab- about them that is false and there hasn't been and the consumer has not been given sufficient opportunity to dispute it that might be a real issue but you still have to get back to the question of whether people should be able to simply pursue cases where there isn't any real harm and the fact of the matter is is that for your listeners who are businesses that have to defend these kinds of cases there is a real cost, whether it's an individual. I mean, you have, listen, you have, it's a cottage industry for the plaintiff's lawyers to bring these kinds of cases, whether they're individual or whether they're class actions, and that's a real cost that businesses have to absorb. This is where we're back also to the class action arguments uh, that have been going on at the court and will continue to. It seems that it will be up to Justice Kennedy uh, to make the decision in this case as the perennial swing vote that he is. Thank you so much, Professor Delia Jimenez of the University of Connecticut Law School and Scott Vernick, a partner at Fox Rothschild. And at the top story at BloombergLaw.com, a New York jury has convicted two ex-Rabobank traders of rigging a key financial benchmark, the first time since trial since the government pledged in September to hold bankers accountable for wrongdoing. It's the first trial, and the verdict in Manhattan federal court is certain to embolden prosecutors investigating possible corruption in the currency and treasury markets. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. We'll be back on Monday. Tomorrow, there's a special edition a long edition of Taking Stock. Bloomberg Best is next right here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm June Grosso. Have a great evening.